I would say you have to just do what's right. Start with the basics. Even big companies today, not the little guy or the big guy, they struggle to do the basics. And then we tend to say it's basics easy, but basic is hard to do. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That was Mustafa Kebe, CISO at Brinks, talking about the real-world challenges of adhering to a framework like NIST CSF. Mustafa joined me on stage for a live event in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, staged by ICI Events. We were talking about framework compliance. Do we choose one? Do we choose them all? Do we embrace them fully or partially? And what changes about our approach to frameworks over time? This not only marks the first live Cyber Ranch podcast, but is also the first time I've ever had a full panel of guests. In addition to Mustafa, joining us on stage were Durley Gutierrez, head of security at 1010 Data, and Pat Benoit, BISO at CBRE. Let's listen in on a great conversation. I want to welcome our panel. First off, we have Durley Gutierrez, head of information security at 1010 Data. Durley? Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. And we have Pat Benoit, BISO at CBRE. Always a pleasure, Alan. All right. And we got Mustafa Kebe, who is the CISO at Brinks. Hey, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. All right, and we're going to be talking about uh, frameworks over time, specifically NIST CSF we thought we'd get into. So I'll throw the first question to Mustafa. When you're first approaching a framework like NIST CSF, do you embrace the entire framework all in one go? Do you pick and choose? You know, if you do pick and choose, how are you picking different things and are you changing what you pick over time? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Thanks for the question. I, when I look at NIST framework, I really do pick and choose. In many phases, I look at it in a different ways. Based on budget that I have, I look at the shop that I have as well as the type of infrastructure. With that, then you can look at the, the way that you go. I typically go within the identification by really understanding the business model. So with that, I can actually provide context to what type of information that I have and how I can secure that. The next phase I will do is go into the protect mode. Uh, those two are the tools that I looked at, and then it allows me to actually put a program together into what I do. When I go into the last two, I do really pick and choose in, in some of those framework based on what I have, and I talked about this is, you know, do you have the time, do you have the funding, do you have the skill set as well, and then do you have the right resources within the business to support that organizational perspective. So, Pat, are you in agreement with that, and what's your criteria for picking and choosing? I am in agreement, except that um, I think you, you, you look and assess the frameworks to see which ones address the needs of the business to begin with and what you're, what you're trying to address. But I also take a decidedly uh, a Zen approach to it in that being a martial artist, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee and the, cons- the idea that um, no single martial art and no single framework can, can be perfect for everything and everybody. And uh, rarely do they address all things. So uh, start with something that gets you 70, 80% there, and then look at the other frameworks to supplement the gaps. One theory I've got, especially when it comes to NIST CSF, and this is one I've been bandying around for a while and kind of playing with in my head, and I haven't necessarily executed on it per se, but it's something I'm starting to realize is already there in my execution. And that's this idea that CSF over time as you mature your program, you're going to actually shift your focus on the major domains, not, not just the individual controls that you're picking and choosing, but the major domains. If you look at NIST CSF and you look at identify, protect, detect, respond, recover, obviously protect 
is going to be our highest priority across the board when we first engage it, right? Protect is the whole point after all. And identify as a necessary precursor in order to protect. You know, it's the old see it, manage it, secure it. If you don't know what's there, you can't secure it in the first place. But what I've realized is over time, as you mature your program, in my mind, you reach a point where you have pretty well identified your stuff, including your risks and your business controls and everything you, you have from the identify category. You, you've pretty well got a handle on that. And then protect, you've pretty much gotten your controls in place as well, right? So now you're looking at detect, respond, recover, which previously were thought of as the more reactionary piece of the framework. And to me, all of a sudden, if you start looking at purple teaming, you start looking at breach and attack simulation, you start looking at aggressive pen testing, suddenly what used to be the reactionary is now actually the, the primary focus and becomes the driver. And I think over time, that's kind of, kind of the way I see the evolution of CSF taking place. So Durley, if CSF is a never-ending cycle, right? Everyone talks about it being a circle of identified, you know, protect, detect, respond, recover, not a line. Uh, do you iterate through it the same way every time? Are you with my theory here? Do you have a different way you do it? How, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's an assumption. I think um, many things in cybersecurity are a life cycle, vulnerability management, software development, security. A lot of things are, are life cycle. In fact, you know, one of the controls in every major framework is continuous monitoring, right? And there's the term cyber hygiene. It's something you got to do every day. You just don't brush your teeth once and then you're good for the year, right? So I think in addition to that, even though protect is probably one of the primary, you know, concerns in the average business. And, and like Alan, you said, you know, it is important. I, I do think all the domains you got to do at a minimum baseline, depending on the business goals for security. And when it comes to protect, right, encryption is part of protection, but if you don't identify what needs to be encrypted or you, you can't detect someone trying to brute force because eventually a brute force attack can get past encryption, you know, this is why all these other domains are probably equally important and you need to do them to a base minimum. And you do need to do it continuously, reevaluate. And then once you get to a certain goal, you can adjust. I use NIST CSF, but I map it to the top 20. And I only do the top 20 version of NIST CSF. And then once my organization gets to a level three or four, I'll start doing the full NIST CSF. And then once we get to a full NIST CSF and we grow as a company, then I'll, I may use another framework like 853 or, or CSA, CCM. Right, something more robust. I've got, yeah, it's funny, on my website, I've actually got a four-year roadmap that starts you with CIS 20, migrates you through CSF, and actually ends in ISO 27001. Yeah. Uh, not 853, but same, same paradigm. And same I'm not principle. a fan anymore of ISO. I, I think it's a little old school, and unless you're an international company, I, I like some of the other frameworks more. Right, I'm, right I'm with you there, and SOC 2, for that matter, is now on my hit list of things that are too damn old. That's my take on it. All this talk about leveraging the frameworks, bouncing them off each other, mixing and matching, doing the martial arts, I'm wondering if we even need the frameworks at all, Pat, like, is there a minimum viable approach you can take that doesn't even depend on the frameworks at all? Well, I think we have to make the distinction between um, the, the term thrown around a lot being best practice versus a term that doesn't get used enough, which is good practice. Um, the frameworks provide kind of a best practice guideline, someplace to start from, and, and that's a good thing, but the, um, they have to be adapted to the business. So you have to have a good practice. And, and that's that nuanced adaptation of the frameworks to what you really need out of your business. And I think uh, Durley brings up a very good point. 
in that the frameworks are useless if you use them purely for assessment. You're just checking a box and you don't take into account uh, beginning at where you can begin reasonably and maturing over time. So I think you need to embed maturity assessment in your process as well. That's, that's one of the reasons I think, and we didn't even talk about this. We've got some notes up here and we agreed to talk about certain things. I'm going to go ahead and throw CMMC on the table. And the fact that we now have a framework it's encompassing maturity from its inception, right? Maturity is part and parcel of CMMC. If if more frameworks were to embrace maturity as part of what they do, would it would it change your answer? No, no, I don't. I don't think it would necessarily change the answer. I, I think we have an evolution to go through. I think we we bring maturity into the discussion about frameworks, and then from there we actually have to bring what I would call benchmarking into the discussion too. So it's okay to go get assessed against a maturity model, but we don't currently have a lot of benchmarking from an industry point of view or company to company point of view. So as we mature in the industry as a whole, it would be nice for. Uh, us to be able to say, hey, where where do I compare on a, a reasonably aligned maturity model against somebody else in my industry or against a different industry? Yeah, there's a there's a benchmarking versus status quo. There's a there's a gentleman I've met at some of these very similar events and conferences. He's based out of Tennessee and he's a consultancy who operates on spreadsheets basically. And what he does is meets with you and goes over a certain framework assessments, but, but his end product is exactly that. All he's comparing you to is the rest of your own industry. He's convinced after years of being in this game and years of doing this, that you cannot measure truly the efficacy, the effectiveness, the actual, you know, measure the security, if you will. And he's convinced the best thing you should try to do is just compare yourself to peers. And so he gathers all the evidence from a given industry, works with the different players and tells everybody you're a 3.0 versus a 3.5 is your industry score. Well, and the other big, big piece we're missing out of the whole framework idea is the idea of weighted scoring. We don't really do any kind of weighted scoring. So as far as the framework is concerned, one checkbox yep. is as good as the other. So what I would like to add to that, yeah, I agree with that. You do need to weigh what's important to the company. And a lot of the new GRC tools do do that. But when it comes to maturity, a lot of people focus on maturity and you can cheat because you can do one control really well at a level five, but are you doing that control 100% throughout the enterprise? You may just be doing it in one environment or one network. And so they don't ask, some of these frameworks don't ask, are you doing it everywhere you're supposed to be doing it, right? That goes into more of the gap score. And some of these GRC tools and frameworks don't look into that. You can just say, I do it really well at a level five but they're not asking you, are you doing it everywhere, right? And you should be doing it everywhere for the majority of the controls in your framework. Yep. And to your point, weighting as well, even within your sub areas, like, 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 I don't know, headquarters should be weighted more heavily or data centers should be weighted more heavily than satellite office in Jersey, right? So, Mr. Offer, you're nodding. What's, what do you got here? No, no, absolutely. And what I was trying to say here, there is the maturity over time. How do you measure that over time? Because you can be mature this year and next year it could be totally different. So making sure that you have that control set where you can go back and also evaluate how you did in the first place of the year. And what happens when you get to a theoretical five? Exactly. You you have to reset. (laughs) Yeah, so even though I use CMMI instead of the new CMMC, I do that score, and that's a one through five. I do a gap score that's one through five, and then you got the overall cybersecurity score for that control, which is the average of those two together. Right, because you got to take where you're deploying the control in addition to the maturity of you performing that control from a management standpoint. Just one thing I would like to see is from a maturity model is we, we typically go tactical. There's not a maturity model that looked at the business model, right? So looking at how do we look 
from the business side of the maturity, right? We look at what are the tactical controls we have, but do we really understand those? The business really understand how that works. And I think that's good. Yeah, support. Yeah, NIST CSF is a very macro strategic level. If you want to get down to the technical level, you review all Windows 10 according to benchmarks or an Azure environment compared to CCM, right? And you get down to the tactical level. You can still use a gap score and a CCM, but you need to use the right framework for the right area of the assessment right. or the review. And to Mustafa's point, I, th I think what I'm hearing you say is we don't really have a good framework yet that truly takes us to that business perspective. In other words, every framework we have is a cyber framework. That's what we're picking up and clubbing the business with, right? And as CISOs, this is, this is just way off base to be approaching the business and saying, here's my cyber world. Here's how it's measured. Here's how it's contained, controlled, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not going to hold you accountable to that, Mr. Business, to my cyber world. It's not, it's not a fair approach at all. And I know that a lot of the frameworks attempt to bring in the business. And I mentioned earlier, I was picking on SOC 2. I've been working on SOC 2 this week. SOC 2 purports to speak to the business, you know, but if you dig in deep, it's not. And I think almost all of them tip the hat. You mentioned CMMI, and I'm sitting here thinking of COVID and ITIL also having that scale of, actually, I think it's zero to five even for CMMI, right? Yeah. It's not one to five because you, you can officially have nothing, right? And yeah. I do love scales that include zero. Uh, even COVID and ITIL purport to speak to the business. And I don't think they're doing it anywhere near as well. So I wonder if there's not a, a framework gap in the realm of business meets the realm of cyber. What do you guys think of that one? Well, if you've ever watched the imaginations of putting together a, a scoping statement for a SOC 2, you understand that it doesn't necessarily reflect the business exactly. accurately. Exactly. And, and I know some of us in the crowd, <clears throat> Matthias Earhart, have been up against SOC 2 audits uh, and, and know well that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Sometimes it's crazy and it's, it's unrelated to what's actually happening in the business altogether. Not to mention antiquated. Did I mention antiquated? Have I said that yet about SOC 2? Just making sure. Making yeah, sure. I'm not sure if I 100% agree because what I'll do is I'll use SASBA, how SASBA maps the business goals and mission to the security goals for business. And from there, I build my security program and security strategy. So regardless what framework I'm using, I'm helping to achieve the business goals. So no framework is going to explicitly talk about how it meets you know, business goals, there's too many businesses, too many different industries. By, by using the SASBA method, you can, you know, a way to blend the business goals to business goals to security to how you use the framework to achieve the business goals. That's a really good point. That's so for those who don't know, that's what is it? Sherwood Applied Business Security it, yeah, Architecture? It's supposed to be a security architecture yeah. framework, but it's really more of a business to security yep. best practice. It's a business security yeah. framework, not a uh, security security framework. So you're, you're now taking a CSF or a, yeah. whatever you're working with and laying it up against a model that's definitely business centric. That adds a complexity that I've seen that I've got, you know, like I worked for one boss who swore if I ever brought up Sam's in his shop, he'd shoot me <laughs> um, just straight up. Like you are not allowed to even say that word. It's very, it can be very overwhelming and resource intensive, but there's some principles like how they convert the business goals to business goals for security that, I use everywhere, even a small business. You don't have to use the full framework. Just take what you like and use it in your tool set. Yeah, so I was about to say, what about the little guys? Can you pick and choose to a degree that it's still useful to the little guy, or are you picking so little that, that there's, it's not even worth having picked? No, I, I think I think you just have to focus on what you would consider, you know, basics. You know, we talk about security 101 and basic hygiene and you know, the vast majority of the time when people have difficulties with security uh, getting exploited and such is because, you know, somebody failed to do something they were supposed to or somebody did something they weren't supposed to. And it all comes back to basics. Well, and this this ties into my earlier question of do we even need the frameworks at all? Because can't we capture the basics 
You're, you're good, but your good practice is not best practices. Can we capture that in some way that isn't a framework and just say, hey, look, here we are doing minimal, minimum viable security and, and we're okay because of it? Like, what do you think, think Mustafa? Oh, okay, that's possible. What's, what's Why your take? Why would you want to? Why? Because the framework is there, so you don't have, like Einstein, I think it was Einstein once said, you know, why memorize something you can just look up, right? If, if you want to know how to secure Windows 10, I look at CIS benchmarks. And then because PhDs and NSA and Homeland Security all recommend you use this or use that, when C-suite and key stakeholders and board of directors push back, you can reference these papers, these websites, and, you know, you got the full weight of the U.S. government or all these PhDs who say you should use this and here's a white paper to back you up and help justify for them to do the right thing. So it, I don't know why you would not want to use a framework. I gotcha. All right, then I'm going to flip the question around. Why not use all of them? Well, I would say you have to just do what's right. Start with the basics. Even big companies today, not the little guy or the big guy, they struggle to do the basics. And then we tend to say it's basics easy, but basic is hard to do. In security, to do the basics is actually really hard. Let's talk about asset management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's typically basics, but it's the hardest thing to actually do right. And most companies don't still do it right. So what I would say is pick and choose, but look at what you have in your shop. Look at the type of data you have, look at the type of infrastructure you have, or what the type, how your business model works, and then you pick the right controls in place to put in place. That will map to some sort of a framework, and then you can pick something to align with that to make sure that you're able to measure yourself. So regardless of which one you pick, the basics are going to be there uh, within all of them. If you do CIS, I think it's now 18, or you do, you know, NIST, all of those will actually capture a yeah, few that's, things. Yeah, that's that fair enough. And in fact, almost every single one of them starts with uh, identify your assets, right? Almost every one of them starts with know thyself. Um, so I guess in that sense, the basics are being addressed. What do you, what do you think, Pat? Well, I'm, I'm going to say uh, throw away the universal. You can't, you weren't, we can't use all the frameworks anyway. Right. So ne never, never use a universal, right? <laughs> um, and then, um, but I think, I think you have to uh, look at the ones that, that will give you and inform you and help you. And, and you have to rationalize them and, and find the things that are important. It's a big elephant, you know, small bites. Right, right, right. So I, I do and don't use all. So at the strategic level, there's no reason to use NIST CSF, COBIT, ISO 2700. But then when I get down to how to harden Windows uh, Server in AWS. I may look at AWS best practices, CIS benchmarks, CCM from CSA, and then take the, there's a lot of controls that are gonna be the same, but then there's a differentiator. Let's take a brief moment from the conversation to hear from our sponsor. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, endpoint security, cloud protection, or all of the above. Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting uptix.com. That's uptix.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. So I'm thinking of, if you guys are familiar with Secure Controls Framework, SCF, Tom Cornelius and his outfit, he's invented what he considers to be the superset framework. I don't know how many of y'all in the crowd know SCF, but the idea is, uh, my, my earlier joke about why not use them all, SCF is pretty much literally all of the frameworks, but it's based on a pick and choose model. You can go in and say, I care about these aspects of PCI and I care about these aspects of HIPAA and I care about these bits of 800-53, roll me my own. 
based on a superset. So he's embracing the superset idea, but all, at the same time, your, your Bruce Lee approach, all in one approach. And I think maybe that's feasible, but I, I'm reminded of, uh, have you guys seen the XKCD cartoon? They're talking about, uh, it, it starts off with the two guys complaining that there's 14 competing standards. And so the idea is, well, let's make a superset standard that encompasses them all, and now there's 15 competing standards. I, I think that's, that's part of it as well. So I think we're, we're of an opinion here. I think we're of a like mind for the most part here on, on how these frameworks work. So I'll start on the end with Mustafa. Best war story working with a framework in your shop. What's the, what's the toughest challenge you've run into uh, embracing a framework and actually working with one and running with it? Well, that's always a challenging one. It's a current company that I'm on. It's a global company. Uh, really trying to get all of the regulations and all of the actual controls you have across the globe is always a challenge for us, right? So in Europe, so we're talking about, you're talking about ISO in North America here, so pretty much we tend to go to the standard of NIST and some, some of our regulatory or customers will ask for specific types of framework. So those are the kind of things that we look at being a challenge for us in, in, in that matter. So actually going to the basics and doing it, what we pick and choose helps us to actually drive that. Okay. All right, Pat, how about you? What's your best, what's your best uh, challenging story? I mean, for me, the biggest challenge has always been the the kind of framework paralysis. You know, we talked about the idea of best practice and, and uh, you know, we'll have assessors come in or we'll have other people in cyber that are looking at stuff and they'll be, well, you must do this as part of the framework. Well, no, I must not do that necessarily, you know, if it doesn't make any sense. And, and then I think, you know, you have to have the discussion about can I afford to do it? Or can I afford not to do it? So let's not forget risk assessment, risk management in all of these decisions about what in the framework to use. Right, right, right. How about you, Darley? So there was a, a time where I took over a site for Air Force Cyber. Uh, they had failed their two previous audits. You know, they had to do full NIST 853 uh, for top secret, secret, and unclassified networks. And the whole team had just quit. And I had about seven months. So uh, all my first gray hairs, I got that year. Um, but we were able to pass, and we got the highest score in the Air Force for two of the networks. So it was uh, it was a fun time, a lot of lessons learned, but uh, it was it was pretty challenging. And and you can do well in framework and still suck at security. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's called compliance. <laughs> All right. So what's your best? We're going to go in reverse order now. So we'll start with Durley again. What is your best success story with frameworks, where you actually walked away grateful that you had gone with the framework approach? That same one, same yeah, because I followed this uh, Stiggs and, and 853 by the book, State of the letter, and yeah, I got yeah. coined by a two-star general and, and got appreciated because I did everything by the book and implemented all those controls. How about you, Pat? Well, for me, uh, you know, uh, Durley alluded to this a little bit, but there's a certain amount of credibility with, with, with frameworks and with, with the names that go around frameworks and who's embedded them. So I've had lots of success going to the business side of the house and being able to show that, that this, these are well-established things that we need to be doing and actually building customized, you know, maturity and self-assessments and things like that for application and product owners to be able to look at and, and do some self-assessment and plan into their roadmaps. And that all comes from using a framework of some sort and taking the credibility from that framework and using it. And, and we're back to that, con that conversation about frameworks meet business. You're, you're taking the framework and injecting it into the business via business processes. Yep. All right. How about you, Mustafa? Well, uh, for me, it's the NIST framework using that in a, in a manner that it's easy to explain uh, based on the, the models it have to the business by just looking at identify, detect, protect, 
as well recovery and so forth. So that's just allowing me to say this is where we are in each of the tanks. Right. So showing it in an easy manner. So that allows us to actually using it as that. a tool to help the business understand the steps they need to take. Exactly. Yeah. In each right. phase. And then of you, that. you do that maturity overlay we talked about and now now you're cooking with gas. Correct. Right. Now you're not that I cook with gas. Never barbecue with gas. It's a, like sock two, just don't do it. Uh, open wood fire, charcoal at worst. And if you do use charcoal, don't use starter fluid. I can't tell you how many people ruin good meat with starter fluid. Just, just don't go down that road. So we've talked about war stories. We've talked about success stories. Let's poke a little bit more about the business integration. Uh, you mentioned kind of using it and referencing it and getting to the business, Mustafa. How did you first introduce it to them? Were you able to just go, hey, here's the framework we all use, and, and this is what cyber looks like, and we're going to start using it? Or did you have to sort of ease that framework into the business and sort of educate them in the first place? What did, what did that story look like? So we started with an assessment uh, into the enterprise, said we are going to do an assessment to see where we are today based on the business model and our quality maturity. And then once we are doing that, we said, based on all of this, we'll pick a single framework that will cover almost everything that we want to do across the globe. And then when we do that, we're going to measure it using this NIST framework. And then it has these five things that we need to watch for, right? So we're going to watch for the identification, which has what the assets we have across the board. I say, oh, that's good. So let's look at a tank to see where we are in that tank. Are we up? Are we down? And the business now is always looking at that number. Why are we below here? Why are we down? And then we said, based on everything we're doing, we want to be somewhere around adaptability and then moving up. And then they don't want to see anything going down. So that's the model I'm using to actually show where we want to be. And then you're tying that to a CMMI model also. Set a goal, set a vision. There we go. I love it. How about you, Pat? Well, and as you know, I have to be careful. I don't pound the pulpit on this because security leaders must be oh, sales yeah. leaders, must be business oh, yeah. leaders first. So that, that has to happen. And, and so my approach was, and I'll go back to like building a BISO program. My approach was to use their language first, build the relationship first. So I always talk in terms of, uh, you know, my BISO program is built like a sales model. So I have inside salespeople and I have outside salespeople. A BISO is an outside salesperson. You know, I'm going to go uh, meet with the customer for you. I'm going to go on your sales pursuits. I'm going to go on your account management. I'm there to be your representative on the sales team. Once I have that relationship, now I can start talking about, okay, let me move to the product side. How can I make that product more viable so we can sell more, so we can enhance revenue, drive revenue, reduce risk? Now we start talking about framework. I am gotcha. All right, Darley, how about you? Selling yeah. it to the business. How are you doing it? Yeah, so I agree. It's, it's close to sales. It's close to being a healthcare provider trying to tell your patient, exercise, eat vegetables, or, or a legal advisor. Uh, you know, because uh, as a head of security or CISO, you have very little authority unless, uh, you know, that budget for that item runs into your program. So you're pretty much in the sales business and the advisory business on a daily basis, trying to convince the business how to reduce risk and uh, reduce liability. I heard a comparison one time, the CISO's plight versus any of the other C-suite, that the CMO doesn't have to sell marketing. Everyone knows what marketing is and why it's there and what the value is, and the CMO just goes about marketing, selling his particular take on marketing. And the CHRO and the CFO, all of these roles, everybody already expects and knows what they're doing, and all they're there to do is sell their take on it. As CISOs, we essentially have to sell the problem first and then sell the solution and then sell our particular solution. Sometimes it's as many as three sales jobs, I think. Um, and, and I wonder if there's not a maturity curve where if we keep embracing these frameworks and if we, to your point, even leverage things like SABSA and start getting into more business-centric you know, enterprise 
level sort of thinking with this. When do we get to the point where we don't have to sell the problem anymore? When do we get to the point where the CISO can just walk in the door and go, we all know cyber is a big thing, so here's my solution for the big thing. Let's get on it, let's go forward, and let's just dive right into it. But uh, I think it's a pipe dream. I, I don't think that's ever going to be the case because if you think about it, and I said to somebody this morning that um, trying to measure the success of a program is much like asking somebody, um, how successful was that auto insurance you bought? Until you get in an accident, you don't know. And, and so I don't know that we'll ever be there. I, I think I know. When, when the U.S. government passes some kind of regulation where all private sector companies, regardless if they're public offering or not, has actual real requirements like fullness CSF as a requirement, then you'll see it be taken seriously, just like you saw a lot of the financial sector in the 70s, 80s, and 90s come out with regis- you know, regulation to enforce certain good behavior. And now the CFO gets the budget they need without being asked for it. So until something like that happens uh, in the U.S., it, it's not going to change. What do you think, Mustafa? Is regulation the answer? <laughs> regulation is tough, right? It's, I, I, and I think for some organizations and for some industries, I think it's essential that they follow some sort of a regulation depending on the type of data, but I think organizations just need to have that SSO. I don't call it SSO, which means the security sales officer, right? You're able to, able to sell sell to the business, but really underst- make the business understand the risk as well. C-I-S-S-O. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, and although regulation may end up driving that, it may, may force us to that situation, I, I think uh, we, we should have something a little more aspirational, which is that we can convince and cajole and, and encourage uh, the product and the service that we're selling without having to have the regulation. I have two businesses, so I'm looking at it from the business owner. Why should I do it and spend money on it? Because my competitors aren't. I need to use that in funds for R&D and other aspects. But if everyone has to do it, then I'll give you the resources because it's a level playing field. Everyone has to do it equally, just like with other aspects of the business as well. So until something like that happens, I don't, I don't see major change coming in the near future. Right. It, it ties into the conversation of enterprise risk, not, not security risk, but enterprise risk, where you've got the leadership of whatever business it is who've got a risk appetite that even if they haven't quantified it and documented it, they, they know pretty much what their risk appetite is. And, and to your point, it becomes a, yeah, we can risk that. Yeah, we can risk that. Yeah, we can risk that. But it may not have to come in the form of regulation of the framework specifically. It could come in the form of liability and holding, holding senior executives liable for yep. breaches and things that happen. So it could come in many forms. This is true. And, and one thing that's starting to happen, too, with cyber insurance is those guys are cracking down hard now. If you have cyber insurance and you, and you fill out all their questionnaires and pass all their stuff and then the bad thing happens and it turns out you weren't doing the right things, boy, there's hell to pay. Pardon my French. Yeah, a lot of customers are enforcing it through like SIG and other questionnaires and saying you're contractually obligated to do certain things. And it's happening so commonly that it's kind of its own pseudo regulation, at least within certain regions of the world. If you compare it to like the aviation industry, the aviation industry has lots of regulations, tons of regulations. But the fact is, in the end, it's the insurance companies that drive the aviation regulation. And folks, that was our live conversation, live on stage at ICI events, a panel with Mustafa Kebe, Dirley Gutierrez, and Pat Benoit. I want to thank them all for coming out and joining me. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs> <laughs>